Our gracious Lord, we give you thanks for this morning, for this opportunity to gather uh, in the midst of your church. We pray that you would be present with us by the power of your Spirit, that you would work mightily through your Word, Lord, and that you would open our eyes to behold the the beauty and the glory of Christ and the wonderful work that you have done and are doing in our midst here and around the world. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, enlighten our eyes and cause our hearts to yearn for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the topic this morning is the Trinitarian foundation of the church. And the point of this whole thing is that we would come away from this understanding the necessity of the church in the work of God. We, as Christians, are brought into the faith by the work of the Spirit regenerating us. The Spirit unites us to Christ. We cannot then separate union with Christ from being in the church. You can't be in Christ and not in His body. So that's the, the whole point of this, is to see the place of the church in the overarching work of God in all things. In the universal church, brother, there rather than the local? I mean both. Simultaneously. There is no such thing as a churchless Christian. And that is a local church. The New Testament has both the universal and the local, but the assumption of the entire New Testament is that if you are a Christian, you are in a church. If you have gone out from the church, if you have gone out from the community of the apostles, you are no longer under apostolic teaching. The work of Christ in the world is to create and build His church, which is the universal church in particular local churches. And so we cannot separate these things. But before we get there, we we need to cover two aspects of God. First, we have to understand something about the Trinitarian scheme of the New Testament. And we also have to understand aseity. And I'm going to start with aseity. What does aseity mean? A-S-E-I-T-Y. Aseity. Uh, sort of. That's ascetic. Aseity is from the Latin phrase a, which is a preposition meaning from, and se, which is the reflexive pronoun meaning himself. So ase is that God is from himself. To say that God has the attribute of aseity, or that God is ase, means that God is within Himself perfectly satisfied. That God is within Himself perfectly content, complete, peace. You just think of the word shalom. God is in Himself utterly satisfied with Himself. And this is significant because as we think about the act of creation, the fact that God is ase means that God did not create, God did not decide to work in the world and by creating and then sustaining because He was lonely. Because He in some way yearned or needed creatures and creation. But there is some other purpose to the creative act of God. And so turn to Romans 11. You all know this verse, I'm sure. 
Romans 11.36. In this verse, we see the pattern of a saying. Someone has it, read it. Wally, go ahead. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. That's right. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Nothing exists apart from Him. Nothing exists apart from being sustained by Him. And nothing exists apart from His overarching plan leading all things back to Himself. All things fit within the scope of God's self-satisfaction that God works from Himself, through Himself, and to Himself. We're going to see this pattern in Colossians chapter 1. Here, starting in verse 15, Paul is expounding Christ. But I want you to think of from Him and through Him and to Him. From Him, through Him, to Him. Think of that while I read. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. It's from Him. It's sustained through Him. It is for Him, to Him. Verse 17, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. All things are from Him. All things are sustained through Him. Verse 18, He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. From Him, through Him, and to Him. The redemptive work of Christ. He is the head of the church. The church is from Him. It is redeemed through Him, through His work, ultimately back unto Him for the purpose of His glory. We see the shape of aseity in Colossians. So that is aseity. Any questions on that before we move briefly to the Trinity? Repeat it for the new people that just came in. Is that God is from Himself. He is a se. That is the Latin preposition from the Latin reflexive pronoun se Himself. A se. We see that in Romans 11.36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. That God is perfectly satisfied, perfectly content within Himself. And we see that grounding various realities in the Scriptures. One of them is the work of Christ in securing and creating the church. Any other questions on that briefly? If not, we're going to move to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First Corinthians 8 and verse 6. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom are all things and through whom we exist. The early church taking the teachings of Christ, taking the teachings of the apostles, formulated the doctrine of the Trinity as from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. If you want to see how it is that God works in the world, it is from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Over and over and over you see that. Think of the act of creation. From the Father, through the Word, God speaks creation into existence by the Spirit. You have the Spirit hovering over the surface of the waters. From the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Every single work. Think of redemption. And this is, we're going to touch on this and dig into this as we think about the creation of the church. It's from the Father in eternity past through election, through the Son, through His redemptive work, by the application of that work to individuals by the Spirit. Every act of God is from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And you see in that reflected aseity, right? From Him, through Him, to Him. From the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. It's all sort of a big circle from God leading all things back to God, reconciling all things to Himself. And so those are the two realities that we want to have held tightly together as we begin to think about the Trinitarian foundations of the church. So those are two huge ideas that I have just scraped right over the surface of. But I think they're important. Are there any questions on either of those two things before we press in? Uh, yes. I know, the, I know the answer to this, but like in the old time, like before Christ came, same scenario. Yep. I mean, just can you elaborate a little on it? Like just as far as like, you know, like it's so easy for us to see it now after 2,000 years after Christ's death. In the Old Testament, it was the same thing? It's the same thing. Absolutely. But in the purpose and plan of God, you don't have the fullness of revelation, Hebrews says, until you have the person of Christ. So the Jews believed in God, the Shema. The Lord our God is one. Israel, they were monotheistic. They believed in one God. But even within this one God, there was a sort of plurality. So you have God, but at points you have His Word. You have messengers of the Lord that are stamped with divine authority. You have various theophanies or appearances of God throughout the Old Testament. And so you see within this monotheistic one God a a sort of plurality that's not really fleshed out until you hit the fullness of revelation in Christ. And then you have this man Jesus standing there saying, I and the Father are one. Everything that the Father does, everything that the Father does, I do. How, how can this be? How can this be? Because the Father has been doing everything eternally, which means this man is eternal. There, there's something different about this man, Jesus, than about every other man that has come through Israel beforehand. But it's, it's in the, the progress of revelation that we see this ultimate fulfillment and culmination in Christ. Um, but the Lord, you see various aspects of it, is by faith in the promise. Salvation is by faith in the promise and trusting Yahweh. Trusting the various revelation of God at each point in history. Um, other questions? Wally. In Genesis, uh, I think it's uh, one twenty-six, twenty-seven. 27 it says, I am the Father, I'll want... No, it says... Uh, 
Let us. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Yep. Um, that alone tells you because the angels aren't there. No mm-hmm. one else can create. Yep. And when he uses a plural, we're talking about God and his triune state. That's right. That does include the spirit as well. Absolutely. Okay. It's Father, Son, and Spirit. And there is debate on how to t- translate that. I personally do take the us as a pointing to divine community. Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay. Um, three persons, one nature. Yeah. Isn't Elohim often plural in the Old Testament? Elohim is plural. Yeah. Um, the word Elohim is a plural form. <laughs> of, the angels can be, as some would suppose, it, the divine council could be... Could be. There are a lot of different possibilities. Yes. Yep. But the affirmation of the Old Testament is that there is one God who is above everything else, and His name is Yahweh, and from Him all things exist. All right. If there are no other questions, turn to Ephesians chapter one, and we're going to be spending a bit of time here as we contemplate the place of the church in the work of God. Look with me, starting in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does saints mean here and to whom does it refer? Set apart ones. Set apart ones, that's right. So a set apart body. Who does this consist of? The people in Ephesus. Ephesus. Right. Particularly the set apart ones in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus. That's right. And so Paul is framing this beginning with the idea of saints as set apart ones. And now he is going to go on and address them still as the saints in Ephesus. A lot of times we individualize everything that comes next, which is true insofar as we are part of the set apart ones. But we also cannot separate this from the fact that he has addressed this to the church in Ephesus. And so I'm going to read 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose." which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This is individual. We have been individually elected, individually called, individually preached to, individually regenerated. This is individual. But we cannot miss the fact that this is also corporate. The, the, the scope and goal of Christianity is not an individualistic, pietistic faith. The goal and scope of Christianity is that Jesus Christ would have for Himself a bride. A, a whole bride that, is, that consists of people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues. What are some of the dangers hermeneutically of, of individualizing so much of what we read in Paul's letters, do you suppose? What's, so th- that corporate context is so critical. Maybe you could you probably maybe didn't plan on this, but speak to a minute is what is the danger in individualizing this the way that we typically do? We are yeah. a Western we thinking idiot sometimes. That's right. Well I think the one of the issues is is that we decentralize the role of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and Protestants have in a sense decentralized the role of the church because of the excesses of papal authority. I don't even like to call the Catholic Church the Catholic Church because we are part of the Catholic tradition. They are a Roman iteration of true Christianity. We stand in the line of the faithful beginning with the apostles, beginning beyond the apostles. We stand in the line of the faithful from them until now. We are Catholic, universal Christians. We stand in that line. To de-emphasize the role of the church in the, the, our understanding of how we come to the text and to make these things individualistic risks the fact that you can then have farmers in Iowa say things like, well, why do I need church? I can experience God on my own on the tractor in the field on Sundays. There's no place for that in the New Testament. Yes. I like C.S. Lewis's response in <clears throat> different context. God doesn't give you that option. That's right. Mm. He doesn't give you that option. And, and to try and emphasize the corporate nature of these letters is to try and bring to the fore the fact that my individual salvation is important as it works out in the fact that God is building His kingdom, the church, and that I am brought into that reality. But on the other side of this, you can have excesses going in the other direction in terms of the abuse of church authority and church power, which we see at Rome. And so we have to find ourselves in this balance where we understand these things both as individual realities, but not separated or divorced from their corporate realities. Well, it just seems to me that a lot of this is necessary because we lose the fact that as a corporate body as a group of Christians in, in this locality that we have a, a power and strength that God wants to have uh, in, in, in brought into the church. I mean, he uses so many illustrations. Like he says, I will build my church. That's right. Well, he says we are living stones that he's, he's putting where he wants them. That's right. And that, you know, these pictures that he keeps coming up with the bride of Christ, the, the body, etc. That's right. Are, are all put in that same general idea of he's building his body and the individual... Components are, are, are valuable and useful, 
but uh, the overall body is has a, has a higher value as well. That's right. And it gets to the question, is the church tangential to your Christian life or is the church instrumental to your Christian life? If the church is tangential to your Christian life, I think that you have overly individualized Ephesians. So is this where the idea, and it's really not a good idea, but is the, the lone ranger Christian, the person That's right. who feels they're a Christian and they're just out there on their own doing their thing, uh, yeah. occasionally listen to a sermon, etc. Yeah. It also speaks to parachurch ministries. Ministries that have divorced themselves from the local church because they don't want any of the baggage that comes with the local church. Christ is invested in building His church. Christ is invested in creating the church. And, and we, will, we don't want to push this only to the universal church. The universal church is only worked out in terms of local churches. Sovereign Grace, Faith Baptist Church, uh, all of the churches that are meeting faithfully under the proclamation of the Word and a faithful administration of the ordinances this morning. Tony. I, I don't want to take up too much time on um, the individual thing, but I was wondering what would be your explanation of someone that God has chosen and yet has the inability to go to church for health, physical, for location, yep. for several other reasons why they maybe the country that they're in yeah. The question then becomes, do we, the church, see the church as tangential or instrumental to their Christian life? Because if we have someone who is a shut-in, if we have someone who cannot come to church, to understand the importance of the church is for the church to care for, love, visit, and incorporate them into the church, recognizing that you can't gather with us on Sunday mornings and this is not ideal but we will work to serve you in this and fulfill this need for you as much as possible. So this it, it has to go both ways. It has to go both ways. Wally. Yes, um, you're referring to the church, the church, the church, and I like what you're saying. Yep. But you're talking primarily of the, about the Reformed Church? I am talking primarily about Sovereign Grace Chapel. Okay. Right now. All right. When I talk about the church, we have to think of this locally first. Because it's, it's your responsibility to view the church as instrumentally important to your Christian faith mm -hmm. and to view it as instrumentally important to the Christian faith of your brothers such that you visit, such that you care for one another. This is how the church works itself out. And how do we guide others who, as I think Tony and a few others alluded to, that people walk away from the church from a church, the universal church, mm -hmm. uh, because of things that have happened in that church or in churches or in religions. Uh, how do we, as Sovereign Grace, guide them? Is it, is it our own, you know, that we try to sit down with them and, and bring them doctrine? Love, grace, mercy, and you have to teach on it. Okay. Love, grace, and mercy, and you have to teach on it. You, you. you have Great to answer. be the church. Okay. And that means if... If there are people in your midst or from your midst who do not value the local church, that there have to be teaching on the significance of the local church in the life of the Christian. And this, this is something that has been lost. Baptists, we as Baptists, Sovereign Grace Chapel is a Baptist church. We have always viewed the importance of the church. The early Baptists referred to the church as a walled garden. That the local churches were a, this sanctuary this bastion, this oasis for Christians to 
come to refresh. It, it, was, it was where God was working, sort of like the Garden of Eden. This is where we come to sit under the administration of the Word and the administration of the ordinances for the strengthening and growth of our faith and our Christian walk. This, this is, these are historic principles that have been lost sometime within the last 150 years. And so we, we have to dig these back. We have to, to build these back into the way that we view things. Because as we talk about God electing, He elects a people. That people is comprised of individuals. You cannot distinguish these two things. You, you can distinguish these two things, but you cannot separate these two things. The error on one side is Arminianism. Well, they will only say God elects corporate categories. He doesn't elect individual people. The error on the other side is to view this as simply individualistic election. We have to hold both of these things together. When God elects His election, you see it here. He chose us in Him. Who is the in Him? Christ. When God elects, that is union with Christ. He elects you into Christ. You cannot be in Christ spiritually and separate from Christ bodily. If you are in Christ, you are united to Him. You, you cannot separate these realities. And so, this is the creation of the church is what we are seeing here. The creation of God's elect and redeemed peoples. Rob. Times it starts out the same in Ephesus, in faithful in Christ, and then it's in the beloved in Christ, in him, in him, in exactly. him. Exactly. Church and Ephesus are some of the same. That's right. In Christ. That's right. That's exactly right. And that in him, in him, in him, in him. That's exactly right. You cannot separate these realities, and we have separated these realities. Yes. That's right. That's uh, that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. And we have to learn to read carefully. We have to learn to read carefully. I'm doing the PhD. What is the PhD? The PhD has been a three-year exercise of me learning how to read better. That's really what it's been. And so it, it's um, you can do it on your own a whole lot cheaper with a whole lot less stress <laughs> if you want to. But it's, it's important that we pay attention to these little markers. But you see here, the Father elects in Christ. The Father's action from the Father through the Son. Those things are never distinguished. The Father does not have one people over here and another people over here and then a people in Christ. The Father's action is followed by the action of the Son. We call this inseparable operations. The, the operations of the Trinity, the work of the Trinity, you cannot separate the work of the Father from the work of the Son from the work of the Spirit. We can distinguish their actions in the sense that the Son was the one incarnated, not the Father. The Spirit is the one who regenerates, not the Son. We can distinguish their works within the one action of God. But the Father never acts apart from the Son, who never acts apart from the Father, who never acts apart from the Spirit. It's one action of God through three persons. And we see that here in the creation of the church. It's the whole plan is from the Father through the redemptive work of the Son by the sealing and regenerating work of 
the Spirit. It's the Spirit in our midst who is creating, uniting us to Christ, bringing about the body. And that's never distinguished from the work of Christ, the preaching of the Word, or the electing purposes of the Father. Any questions at this point? <clears throat> yes? Um, you know, uh, looking at this like from, from as a church, mm. do you think there's, uh, there's also the people that, that are, you know, that were in church and then found out there was something that they didn't like the person next to them or something, and they went somewhere else? And, yep. Uh, you know, kind of what Wally was talking about when they 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 wander away. Yeah. And what is the what is the purpose of the church? And isn't on the other side there's a um, there's a danger of thinking uh, you get into the church, you yep. come to church, and you're you're at the church, you know, every Sunday when it's open, mm-hmm. and that's your duty to God. Mm-hmm. And whereas I think that. The, the church is really called, the, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's right. And the gates are not, they're not keeping us in. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we're supposed to destroy them. So, it's up to, you know, like, I don't know, is that? Yeah, well, and that, that's a good point. So we're not elevating the church to a position of works righteousness, right? All we're doing is elevating the position of the church in terms of the Christian life and the orientation of the Christian. Because Christ desire is to build the church and against the the gate the gates of hell shall not prevail against it so that when christ his his action on earth is to build the church which we are incorporated into that then is not tangential and that that's the the whole point of this is that the the church is important to god therefore the church should be important to us and that is the church locally and then as the church locally grows out, the planting of churches and the, the communion and association of churches universally. That, and so it, it's to highlight the importance and the role of the church in the life of the Christian as it is reflected in the Trinitarian work of God. Does that answer? Yeah, so, I, I, guess I'm, I guess I'm thinking that you know, um, it, you know, it's, the church is the body. But in, also individually, we have um, a mission that God has put it, that's given to us. That's right. You know, and, and you know, we can we can come and we can almost become comfortable in church. You know, we can you know kind of feel like okay, and then mm-hmm. we want to get other people in, and we get them in here. Right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, there's there's uh, you know, um, I think that's kind of if you look at the church, you know, like it's. In America, that's part of what we've, we've kind of done. We've kind of not, we've not said these things. These things are wrong, and we're going to stand up against it. We kind of uh, stayed in our churches. Yeah, and and part of that is getting to the purpose and role of the church in the world. Part of that is getting to the purpose and role of the Christian in the church. And so I am not sure that we as Christians should have missions that are separate from our standing in the local church. If, if you come to a conclusion that you want to do something, I would try and bring that to the church and, and involve that in the ministries of the body rather than shotgunning it as a, sort of the lone survivor. You know, that, well, and, and so that, that's the, I'm talking about not doing the opposite, but that's not to squelch individual desires. That's not to squelch what individuals feel called to do within the within the plan and purposes of God. 
but that that is to say that you cannot separate your purpose from the building and the creation of the church. I, I, I think those things have to all go together. Justin. Yeah, and it's also realizing that um, being part of the church and the church being instrumental in your Christian faith is far more than simply attendance at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of what he was getting at yep. there, that it's, it's not just... Um, being part of the church is that every Sunday I, I make a point to show up. Right. That's that's an important step towards being part of the church, but being part of the church involves action in community. That's and, right. Um, like things beyond just the time in this building. That's right. That this becomes the avenue whereby we fulfill the one another commands. And I don't know that the New Testament has a place or, or a position for the fulfillment of the one anothering without involvement in the local church. Because there there wasn't a multitude of churches in Ephesus. There was one church in Ephesus. And that action within the Christian body, how will they know that we are Christians? By our love for one another. That would have had to have taken place within the Ephesian church locally. And that, I think, for us as Christians, has to start locally. Todd? What do you think about... Must have been that extra coffee I had you with you the other day that <coughs> reminded me. Um, <clears throat> the tension between political involvement of the church. That's right. More like carrying the church into the political involvement, which now supposedly now sanctions it mm-hmm. as the right thing to do, mm-hmm. rather than looking at the church and what is its original call. Yep. Uh, as a church to to bring about the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. uh, and it that the political part of it ends up being sanctioned by the church, but may or may not actually be what the call of the church is. Right. And that's... Comment on that just a little bit? Yeah, and I don't want to and wasn't planning on it, but I will. (laughs) Um, So this is is really hot button right now. Is the church called to transform culture? And that's the issue. I used to be there. That we need to transform all of culture and bring it under the Lordship of Christ. I am moving away from that. I think there are things that we need to speak to. Abortion is one of the most horrendous evils that have, has ever been perpetrated on the face of the earth. That the church needs to speak prophetically into. But I think that rather than transforming culture, the church needs to be involved in creating its own culture. That we as the church are actually culture creators as we fulfill the cultural mandate individually to exercise dominion over the world around us and as we see the Lord extending His dominion through us, but that's primarily in the local church. So that we are creating culture when we live by the the urgings of the Spirit and evidence the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are meant to be evidenced within the local church. And in evidencing the fruits of the Spirit within the local church, each one of us will create a culture within this local church. And that will grow and grow and grow as numbers are added to the body. And that will grow and grow and grow as we grow in maturity. And so that that is what I think we as the church need to be focused on, is creating disciples and creating culture by living faithfully with one another in the midst of Local congregations. Like you said earlier, the wild guard. Right. <clears throat> and so uh, what I'm thinking is that there will be these, indiv- these 
uh, uh, manifestations of walled gardens throughout the world. And when Christ returns, he will bring it all together. And, and the, That's right. The, the resistance or the opposition will be eliminated entirely. That's right. That's exactly right. But the idea of an individual Christian sitting in their home, never attending church for decades, but yet saying, I'm part of the church universal, is ridiculous. The, the, the New Testament has no place for that. We need to be reflective of the fruit of the Spirit individually to others, mm-hmm. and as a church as well to yep. others. That's right. And to other Christians. And so we're, we're going to talk about this briefly. We've got 20 minutes. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all working to create the church. And if you read the New Testament with your eye, just attune your mind to thinking churchly. Think about the creation and instruction and building of the church in the New Testament as you read it, and you will see that it is everywhere. The focus of Christ is redeeming His bride. His bride is... We ought not to immediately think of His bride as me. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. But the bride is the church. The church in the New Testament is universal, but there you cannot separate the universal church from each local instance of the universal church. So the, the, the work that Christ is doing right now in our midst is to build Sovereign Grace Chapel and in Southbridge, Massachusetts. The work that Christ is doing in the midst of Faith Baptist Church is to build Faith Baptist Church in Southbridge as the Gospel goes forth and people are added to their number. The same with Holland. The same with all of the Gospel faithful churches around New England. The work that the Lord is doing is to build His church. That happens universally as that happens locally. But the Father begins this whole thing with election. And I could point you to John, I could point you to John 6, John 17. Christ defers, all who come to me are given to me by the Father. It begins with election in eternity past. That is then worked out in our midst in Christ. Um, Let's see. So the church is from the Father, meaning the church is elected from the Father, should be oriented to God, and is ultimately ruled and governed by God. That happens through His Son. His Son, Jesus, is connected to another word in the New Testament. Logos, Logos, which means? Uh, Spoken word. Spoken word. So God elects, rules, governs through His Son, through the Word, through the Word of God. And so we as the church must be oriented to God through the Word of God. This is how God works. This is how God builds His church. How were each one of us called unto faith? Individually, through... The Holy Spirit. Faith comes by hearing. But faith comes by hearing. The means of the Spirit is the preached gospel. The Word of God spoken. And that is how this church is built. That is how every individual church is built. Is the identification of those elect by the Father through the preaching of the Word. Those who are elect respond in faith. 
We as Christians do not decide who is or is not elect, but we universally proclaim the gospel and the Spirit applies that word to certain individuals, drawing them together, building the church. But we're talking here about building churches through individual members. So adding to their number, which you see through the book of Acts. The apostles preached and there were added to their number... 3,000, 2,000. That was building the individual church numerically. But there's also another way to build the church. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Looking at verse 42. Starting in verse 42. So we think about building the church numerically through the salvation of individuals. But then Christ builds his indivi- builds the, the local church further by maturing and growing those individuals. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is the Word of God, and fellowship to breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So the Lord is adding to their number. He is adding to the multitude of believers. But then the believers who are there, He is growing and strengthening and maturing. So that the the growth of the church is twofold through the preaching of the Word. The preaching of the Word is to grow and disciple and mature Christians. The preaching of the Word is also to convert and save. Both activities build the church. So that you have from the Father through the Son... And we talked a little bit about the Son's redemptive work, but we receive that through the proclamation of the work of the Son. From the Father through the Son. Any questions at this point? As we think now about the work of the Spirit. So we have it from the Father through the Son by the Spirit. John 16. So in John 16, you have right before this, Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. You have the the parable of Christ as the vine. Those who abide in Christ are part of the vine. You have the hatred of the world. And then John 16, starting at the second half of verse 4. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to Him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you, and He's speaking to all of the apostles at this point, this, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine, therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. And again, he's speaking to the apostles, to those who have been engrafted into Christ, to those who are a part of Christ's body and Christ's work. The Spirit will empower them to proclaim the gospel to the nations, and the Spirit will lead them into greater and greater depths of knowledge, ultimately of Christ, for His glory. So you think from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, from Him and through Him and to Him. It's overarching the whole work as we think about what is going on in the local church. And this starts with, think think again of Titus chapter 3. Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is the Spirit who applies the redemptive act and work of Christ to each of us individually. And it is the Spirit who gathers us together as the body of Christ. Ken, you had a question? Okay. It's the Spirit who applies this Word. It's the Spirit who works powerfully through the preached Word to give it effect and to give it Strength to give it power. It's also the Spirit who grows us in Christian virtue. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. One verse can I slip in, brother? Yeah. First Corinthians 12, 2 says, No man can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's right. That's exactly right. There is no... <coughs> <clears throat> there's no union, there's no identification with Christ apart from the work of the Spirit. What's that verse? What, what verse is that? Is that found? What he just said? First Corinthians twelve one, right? One and two. One and two. Okay, thank you. Yep. Look at, at Galatians five. So oftentimes we think about the fruits of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit as individualistic, as this is pertaining to me and my Christian walk, and I need to grow in a sense of individual piety, with the thought, at least in my mind, it was the thought of Alex with his Bible doing quiet time. I don't think that's quite the context. Look at verse 13 of chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. So Paul's referring to the whole gathering reading this letter. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So that is the context in which Paul is writing the, the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. It's in terms of the community of the brethren sharing with, loving, caring for one another. Use this freedom as an opportunity to serve, not as an opportunity to serve the flesh. He then goes on to talk about what are the works of the flesh. So we have been freed by Christ through the Spirit. Therefore, don't commit sexual immorality, don't commit impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, the list goes on. But we as Christians are called to walk by the Spirit. And again, this is in a a congregational context. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. How do you evidence patience apart from other people? Is this not just, isn't this the law? Hmm? Isn't this God's law? You know, the the fruit of the Spirit, is that not God's law? Not, um... It's a guide? It's not law in the sense of if you obey these things, you will warrant salvation. Okay. But it is the fruit of the Spirit working in you. So that's the distinction I would want to make. But how do you evidence kindness? How do you evidence gentleness? How do you evidence faithfulness? Think about love. How do you evidence love apart from the Christian community? Each of these fruits of the Spirit seem to, at least to me, imply that we are living in community with one another. Love one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind to one another. You think of of joy. What is joy in the midst of the community as Paul commands us to weep with those who are weeping and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing? The fruit of the Spirit is individual and it ought also to be collective as we live in community with one another. That this will be descriptors not only of Wally individually, but also of Sovereign Grace Chapel. That we would be a church who loves. That we would be a church who evidences joy and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Together. So I'll say, say what you just said again. You start out by saying it's first individually. It is first individually. And, and that's the piece I think that just because we, we, we run to extremes. Yes. Right? Individual, and then we miss the That's right. of the church. It's the church, and we miss the personal responsibility. Yeah. We were first in the gospel called the union with Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. It's not one or the other. That's exactly right. Two of these things coming together. Yes. Mis- That's right. Yeah, and I, I think the I think the way that we do that is that we seek to do these things individually, and then try and be involved in the community, right? So that. It's not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on trying to make Sovereign Grace Chapel loving while I myself hate everything. There has to be both things working together. That we will strive individually, but the assumption is, is that as we strive individually, we are in the midst of the community. But that, that's exactly right. And that every time you teach, you're on the razor's edge of, I don't want to go to this excess, but I see some of this excess and want to correct but then we'll go to the other excess, and so it becomes a pendulum of back and forth and back and forth. But the point of this is 
the church is not tangential to your Christian life. The preaching from the pulpit on Sunday morning, the administration of the ordinances or the sacraments, they are faith building. They are means of grace that the Spirit uses on us individually to grow the church corporately. So avail yourselves of these means of grace. As you think through devotional life and quiet time, don't think that those are the things that ultimately make you a true disciple of Christ. But that those things are important as well as the fact that we are called to one another, one another. So that we are demonstrating and evidencing genuine love, genuine kindness, genuine gentleness within the midst of our church community. And I think it's important that we think clearly and carefully about the in the midst of our church community. Because you can't just think, so-and-so wronged me, I'm going to jump ship and go to another church community. You have to deal first with where the Lord has placed you immediately, currently, presently, now. It's important that we think of ourselves in terms of being in Christ and that we also think of ourselves as being members and joined to this local congregation for the sake of gospel flourishing or whatever congregation it is that you have joined yourself to. Justin. Yeah, what you just said about you know, leaving a congregation because someone wronged you, mm-hmm. I think that really ties in well with um, the way you're presenting the fruit of the Spirit. Um, because if it's something I individually need to be working on, but also a corporate thing that needs, that the Spirit is going to produce, if I abandon a congregation when it fails to evince those, I'm also abandoning them to any help or support I, I could give as part of the community to the growth of those things. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that is viewing yourself as an instrumental part of the local church. So that we're not just a collaboration of individuals, but we are the body of Christ. Each individual member collaborates, brings a gift to the contra- to the table, and some members bring different gifts, other members bring different gifts, but all of us are needed in this mix as the Spirit gives gifts liberally. And that's the next place I'm gonna, I was going to go to is, is 1 Corinthians 12. Talk. I just think, for the sake of being redundant, um, I think the culture has crept into the church Hmm. We think of um, a relationship with God, which is you know the, the evangelical way to describe to the world mm-hmm. what my faith in Christ is. Right. But properly so. Yeah. But we neglect the church. Yes. And that allows us to look at the church in a secondary, tertiary sense. Yep. And all of a sudden, we become more separate from the church, uh, and um, it. To a certain extent, it's it's degrading the church of the 21st century. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think in some ways we have separated ourselves from the work of God in the world. If we separate ourselves from the church and Christ is working to build the church, who have we separated ourselves from? Christ. Ken, did you have your hand up? Yeah. Yes. When we look to the early church, uh, as an example, the
you're speaking, yet we're looking at the word. That, that, that's a change. Mm-hmm. For me, as, a, as an auditory learner, I get distracted. Yeah. I'm looking at the word rather than listening to you. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how it works for me. Another example, I guess, and, and there's many really, mm-hmm. but the, in the early church, they broke bread regularly, mm-hmm. like daily probably. Mm-hmm. We do it monthly. Yeah. Are we at risk of losing things due to the culture of how to speak to a little bit? And just our culture and our busyness and so on and so on. I think so. Um, I, I definitely think so. And, and I think, again, part of the point of this is to hold up the church as something that's very important for us as individual Christians. It's not, um, it, you know, I, you hear sometimes people will say things, well, I don't really need the church that much if my devotional life is in order. And that has overly individualized your Christianity so that it's just about you and Jesus with the Bible. When what Christ is saying, no, it's about the church. It's about my bride, of which you are a part. So yes, be a part of the bride. And do devotions individually, but do not separate yourself from the church. Both of those realities have to be taking place at the same time. And and a lot of that, and Sovereign Grace, I think, is working towards greater help in this through things like small groups. But how do we as a church think more about the way that the Spirit has gifted each of us individually those giftings individually the Spirit has given us to return back to the church, to gift and help build the church. And so if we separate ourselves from the church, you have separated your gifting, your ability from the church at large. And so you have deprived the church and you have deprived yourself. And so we have to view ourselves as members of the body of Christ. And not just individual Christians lone rangering it all over doing whatever we want. It's it's gotta be both and it's gotta be both and Gary. I heard a statistic on the radio a number of years ago that said something like forty to sixty percent of people who claim to be born again have no church connection. That's right. Non members. Yeah. It's foreign to the New Testament. It's foreign to the New Testament. And, and again, if Christ is working to build His bride, if He is working to redeem His bride, and you separate yourself from His bride, you have separated yourself from Christ. Which is why John can say, they went out from us because they were not of us. The, the church was not tangential to the Christian's the, the spirituality of the early Christian life. You're going to remember that because I've said it I so many no times. I have no understanding of what that word means, to be quite honest. I've been listening to you say it about four times. To go off on a tangent. There we go. So if you, if Tangent-o. I'm... Yes. Hello. Tangential. It's not tangential, it's instrumental. Meaning, it's of highest importance okay. for the Christian life. That's right. Justin. Elevating the importance of the church affects our evangelism. Mm-hmm. If we think about our relationship to Christ as a primarily um, individual thing and we forget the church, it's very easy to forget about evangelism. But if you're constantly considering that Christ redeemed his bride, right. he redeemed the church, yes. you realize that there are people who are supposed to be belonging to that That's right. who need the gospel preached to them to come to that. That's right. And not only that, but so you'll, you'll hear things about um, Campus Crusade. I've heard other college ministries who have gone on foreign mission trips to just cities all over Europe 
to preach the gospel. They preach the gospel, push people into a decision, pray this prayer and you'll be saved. But there's no work to get them plugged into a healthy, vibrant local church. And, and evangelism is preaching the gospel, believing personal faith in Christ, but that cannot be separated from joining someone to a gospel-faithful local church. That's right. it, it's got to be both and. The, the discipleship, which I'm going to preach on, happens within the context of the Christian community. It's us teaching and loving and working beside one another. We're out of time. Julie. I don't think the character of would have Mm-hmm. And they, many people with um, Parent Church Ministries are, are one of the ways many people first start to hear the gospel. Yep. And, um, and because they often are appealing to people when they're in transitional times in their lives, mm-hmm. um, it is difficult for them to be able to get people plugged into a church. I know when I started exactly right and I am not saying the only faithful expression of Christianity is to spend 12 hours at church on Sunday so if you've heard that you've misheard that I'm not saying that um, my, and my point is not even to make definite plans for reform I just think this is something that we as Christians need to be thinking about that as we contemplate our spiritual life don't think about that as divorced from the church and don't think about that as divorce from individual piety. Both of those things have to go together. Um, how that exactly will work out in individual local congregations is going to look very different. Um, but for us to be thinking in that direction. Um, I'm going to pray. And then if you have questions, come find me. Our gracious Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. We are blessed with the privilege of being brought into your people that we would be a member of your bride, a member of your body. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of that, that we would 
find places that we would find our gifts, that we would find areas to serve and minister. Lord, we pray that you would open doors and we pray, Lord, that you would build your church. We pray that your name would be proclaimed because of the fidelity and because of the the loving kindness evidenced in the midst of the body here, Lord, but not just here, at every local congregation around the United States and around the world. Lord, we pray that your gospel would be proclaimed mightily and that many would be convicted of sin and that many would be saved. Lord, we also pray that you would grow your children, that you would cause us to live in light of your word, that you would help us to desire and yearn for communion and fellowship with you as we are living our lives in communion and fellowship within the midst of your body. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to tell you something, but not now. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. That's very good. Okay. Is that up? It is off. Awesome.